Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Rev. Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading for today is from Paul's Epistle to the Romans, chapter 12, verses 6 through 13. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. O God, tell us what we need to hear, and show us what we ought to do to obey Jesus Christ. Amen. Romans 12, 6 through 13. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with mutual affection, outdo one another in showing honor, do not lag in zeal, be ardent in spirit, Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, to God be the glory for the reading of Holy Scripture. And it is a a real honor for me to be in the house of the Lord with you on this glorious Sunday morning. I've been away, my family and I, for a couple weeks, and I say away, we didn't really go anywhere. It was more like a staycation, but it was still a wonderful opportunity for us to step back from the rigor and the routine and the responsibilities of my work as the senior pastor of this church. But it is really good. I feel refreshed and ready to jump back in and to continue the the glorious work to which God has called all of us. Last Sunday evening, for the first time, I came to our church parking lot and participated in the in-person worship that we're now offering in the parking lot. And I mentioned that to you, number one, because it's wonderful. But number two, what's even more special is that I get to see so many of you, some people I haven't seen since that last Sunday in March before we closed our worship service. So if you're able to join us this, this afternoon, at 5.30 for worship, we would love to have you and to be part of this gathering. It's really safe, everyone's wearing masks, are wearing masks, and we are you know, properly distanced from each other, and it's just wonderful for us as the family of God to come together in worship in this way. If you're coming though, you need to register online, so hopefully you can do that and you can join us uh, later this evening. The other thing that really gets me excited is the fall and what we're doing and the theme, the campaign that we're on, the theme, filled up, poured out, filled up, poured out. And there, at least in my mind, there are three big reasons why I want you to join us on this campaign, on this this wonderful theme. Reason number one why we're doing this is to remind us to remind us that God is generous, that God is a giving God, and that as children of God, we are blessed. And so that's the idea 
behind the term being filled up. We are blessed in ways that are immeasurable. When you read the book of Romans, you see the many ways in which God has blessed us. God has saved us. God has delivered us. God has filled us with his grace. God calls us to be his own. God puts the Holy Spirit within us and we're adopted children of God. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. God hears us when we pray. I mean, it's just, it's just, it just cascades. The, the number of ways that the Holy Spirit has filled us up. But then I was reflecting earlier in the week about a passage of scripture, which incidentally, I'm sitting in the session meeting on Tuesday night and Kim Clam gives a devotional and she reflects on the very same scripture that God was imprinting on my heart to remind us why we are a people who are blessed and were filled up. So I was reading from 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 and this is what the words say to us. God's divine power has given us everything we need. And you'll notice on your screen that that phrase, given us everything we need, is bolded because I want you to see that we're filled up, we're blessed. God has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Then the very next verse, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4 says, and so he has given us, God has given us, there it is again, through these things, his precious and very great promises so that through them, through those great promises, you may escape from the corruption that is in the world because of lust and may become participants of the divine nature. So that just blew me away when I read that. God has given us his divine power. God has given us these great and precious promises so that we might become participants in the divine nature. So we are engaging in this campaign, filled up and poured out as a way to remind us that God has generously blessed us. Here's the second thing I want you to understand as to why we're doing this campaign. To encourage us then as a church, because we're filled up with the Spirit of God, to encourage us as a church to embrace the gifts that God has given to us. And so our reading this morning points out some, and I use that word, some of the gifts and you could go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 13 and 14, and you could go to 1 Peter chapter 4, and you could go to the book of, of Numbers, and you will see the different ways in which God has given gifts to his people for the ministry and for the work of God in the world. So Paul says in Romans 12 and verse 6, we have gifts. We have gifts, brothers and sisters, and they differ according to the grace, and there's that phrase again, given to us. And I take this in a literal sense. I, I hope you are doing the same. This is not one of those verses where you read it as poetry or you read it as metaphor. This is literal. God has given to the church gifts. Every one of us, we have spiritual gifts given by God for the purpose of glorifying God and to build up and edify the church. So I want to encourage you that God has poured these gifts into you. God has poured his life into you. And the third reason why we are embarking on this campaign is to remind us then that the church has a mission. And I was thinking this week about the woman at the well in that little town of Sychar, 
or Saichar, however you pronounce it, that Samaritan village, that woman came in the middle of the day with a bucket to draw water. And when she gets to the well, Jesus meets her and Jesus asks her for a drink. And that, that request then grows into this magnificent conversation about what is worship and where do you worship? And the bottom line was Jesus said, go call your husband. Jesus touched the core of her, her struggle, the core of her need. She was empty. She needed real love. She was thirsty. Jesus said, go call your husband. And she said, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, you're, you're telling me the truth. Because you've had several husbands, and the person you're living with right, right now is not even your husband. And she said, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. And Jesus begins to talk to her about the water of life, where if she drinks of that water, she'll never be thirsty. She will always be filled up. And after Jesus ministered to her, and she understood that Jesus is the one, Jesus is the Messiah, John records that the woman ran back into the village. So she walked to the well. She ran back to the village from, from the well. She left her water bucket at the well, and she was already filled up with the living water, and she started pouring it out into her community and saying, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Is this not the Christ, or is this not the Messiah? The church has a mission, and we come to Jesus empty. He fills us up, and we run from the gathering of the church out into the community, out into the world, to pour out the gifts and the callings of God upon those who are yet to hear. Well, here's a fourth reason why we're doing this campaign. It's because we also have a mission. The church has a mission, but we have a mission. And the mission of First Prez, as you know it so well, is to know Jesus Christ and to grow in him as we serve and make disciples in Evanston, in the Chicago area, and around the world. Now, here's the problem we're facing. We might have a mission in Word. We might have a mission on our website and on our bulletins and in different places. But that mission will never be fulfilled unless we, the body of Christ, the people of God at first prayers, are filled up with that living water. It's not possible. We won't be able to do that mission. So I'm holding in my hand a two-gallon Rubbermaid, so it's made in America, Rubbermaid water can. And Judith and I were talking about this, how long we've had this thing. My guess is it may have t taken all the way back to Pennsylvania or even when we were, I was the associate pastor in Ohio. So we're talking years and years. This is a pretty durable thing. But the other day, and this is why I decided to use it, you know, pastors are always searching for illustrations. The other day, I was watering a plant by the side of the house, and when I started pouring out the water, and don't worry, there's no water in it right now, or there might be a few droplets, pouring out the water, I noticed that maybe it was coming out of only two or three holes, and this thing was full, but the water wasn't coming out. And so I remove the front of this, and to my surprise, it was clogged with gunk and dead leaves and 
all kinds of dirt, and the water wasn't pouring out very well. And then when I looked inside of it, it was also filled with gunk. There was water in it. So I had to pour the water out. I had to clean this cap. And then I, I put it back on, of course, and I filled it up again. And you know what happened when I filled it up with water. And I just tilted it. The water just came gushing out onto the plant that I needed to water. And I'm saying to you that this is what our lives look like. That if we don't have the water of life within us, if we have junk in our lives, if, the, if we are trapped in various sinful practices, it's not that God can't use us, but he won't be able to use us the way he wants to, to, to use us, like the woman at the well. He needs to clean us up. He needs to forgive us. He needs to, to transform us. And that water of life that he's poured into you and into me is going to come gushing out, and it will be a blessing to others. Jesus has called us to be a river of life, to be a water of life. And that's how we're going to make a difference in our community. We must be filled up. And you say, well, pastor, what do we need to be filled up with? And if you read the scriptures again, it is really clear with what the things we need to be filled with. In fact, I, I, I bring it down to just two things. You and I must be filled up with the word of God. And as I've been reading through the scriptures, I saw examples where in the spirit, God brought to Jeremiah a book and God told Jeremiah, eat this book. And when he ate the book, it was sweet to his body. And then God told him after he ate that book to go and prophesy, go and speak, go and proclaim my word to the nations. Similarly, I noticed the same thing happened to Ezekiel. God told him, eat the book. He ate the book. Then God said, prophesy, speak, proclaim, share. And I noticed this morning as I was reading in the book of Revelation that John saw this angel with a little scroll. John in the spirit saw a vision of an angel with a scroll. And the angel told John, go and take the little scroll and eat it. John ate the scroll. It was sweet to his mouth. The scriptures say it was bitter to his stomach. And then God told John, I want you to go and speak. Friends, I think those examples it's really a call from God for you, to you and to me, that in order for us to pour out what God has put within us, we must be filled up with the living word of God. Read the scriptures, obey the scriptures, allow the scriptures to be planted upon your heart because it is out of that knowledge of God, that love for God, that you will be able to pour out to others the blessing that God has given to you. But here's the second thing we need to be filled with. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, of course. Because when you look at the church in the book of Acts, the great things that they did in the name of Jesus, it wasn't done in the name of Paul. It wasn't done in the name of Israel. It wasn't done in the name of themselves. It was done in the name of Jesus. And Jesus promised the church that when I go back to the Father, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit who will be with you and in you. Greater things than these shall you do, Jesus promised his church. Greater things than these shall you do because I go to the Father. So Jesus wants the church, he wants you and me to be filled with the Holy Spirit because it is the Holy Spirit being poured out of us, the word of God being poured out of us, the strength of God being poured out of us so that we will be able to make a difference. Here's why that's important. And I'm still learning that. So what I'm sharing with you is what God is still teaching me, that God wants us to minister and serve 
from a life that is overflowing with the life of God. Think about that. There have been days in my life, I must confess, when I have simply got up and done the pastor thing. I prayed the prayer, I did the sermon, I did the meeting, but it wasn't from a life overflowing. It was just out of duty. It was just out of, I got to do it because I'm the pastor and God doesn't want us to work that way. I got to do it because I'm the husband. I got to do that because I'm the father. No, God wants us to do all that we're doing from a life that is overflowing with his life. That is what I call true worship. And I know within the Presbyterian church and in so many other churches, we have this, this very, very twisted understanding of what worship is. And we get all wrapped up around liturgy and this and song and this and that. And God is saying that the real worship that we offer to him as it says in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, that where Paul says, My beloved, I do not want you to be conformed to this world any longer, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove and attest what is God's perfect will. This is your reasonable act of worship. It is the life that is surrendered to God, that is poured out to God, where true worship is offered. The woman at the well needed to learn that she saw worship as a place and God saw worship as a relationship. The day is coming, Jesus said to the woman at the well, when God will call worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth, not on a mountain, either in Jerusalem or on Mount Gerizim, not in the building, whether it's in the chapel where I'm standing today or over in the sanctuary, but whose hearts are turned on to God. That's the kind of worship a life overflowing with love for God. And so when you look at Romans 12, verses 6 through 8, Paul gives us a sampling of the kind of gifts that God has given to first prayers that need to be poured out in an uninhibited way. We have gifts according to the grace given to us. And some of you have the gifts of prophecy, and God says, I want you to prophesy or speak my word in proportion to your faith. Some of you are given the gift of ministry. And God says, I want you to minister. Minister. Some of you are given the gift of teaching. And God says, I want you to teach. Some of you are given the gift of exhortation or the gift to encourage. And God says, I want you to do it with all of your might. Do it for my glory. Some of you have the gift of giving. And yes, it could be giving money, it could be giving your time, it could be giving yourself in whatever way. God says, I want you to do it with all generosity. Some of you have the gift of leadership. And if you've given the gift of leadership, I want you to lead in diligence. Some of you have the gift of compassion. And if that's your gift, I want you to do it cheerfully. You, get the, you see what's going on here, though. God has given all these gifts. They're not the same. So don't feel bad if you don't have the gift of leadership. Don't feel bad if you don't have the gift of generosity. What God wants you to know is that you have a gift, and if you have it, use it. Pour it out to the praise and the glory of God. So the question we must then ask is, what would happen to a church like ours if we were to use these gifts? Let me just quickly close by sharing four possibilities of what happens now to a church like ours when we begin to use these gifts. Number one, when we know that we're filled and we begin to pour those gifts out in worship and service to God, the church is going to be healthy and vibrant. All parts of the church will be working according to God's design. 
Now, knock on wood, I think I'm healthy. All the parts of my body are working. And things that I want to do, I'm able to get up and move and lift them, lift things and do things and accomplish things in this body. Because right now I think my body is healthy. I'm saying to you, my brothers and sisters, that when the church has gunk that is impeding the water, we're not going to be healthy. We won't be able to do the work that God has called us to do. We're not going to be a vibrant church. All the parts are working. When we are filled up and we're pouring those gifts out in worship and service to God, the church is going to function according to God's design. And so as I've been reading through Revelation and I read the letters to the seven churches, Jesus is standing in the midst of the churches and Jesus is doing a checkup on the churches. And he finds that, yes, there's a beating heart, but for some of the churches, it wasn't beating very well. And he pointed out several indicators that in some of the churches, it displayed signs of ill health. But there were two churches, the church at Smyrna, the church at Philadelphia. When he checked upon them, they were healthy. They were strong, even though they were in, they were in the midst of hardships. I think what Romans 12, 9 through 12 then represents are what I call health indicators. And, and as, we read, as I read these, I want you to check yourself and ask yourself, am I healthy? Number one, let love be genuine. A sign of a healthy church, a healthy body, is that love is genuine and you hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Verse 10 says, love one another with brotherly or mutual affection. Now, here's one that's challenging for us in our church. Are we outdoing one another in showing honor? Verse 11, do not lag in zeal. That's a sign of a healthy church. There is no apathy. There is no spiritual deadness. But there is zeal. There is ardent. There's this ardent uh, attitude in spirit. Be ardent in spirit in serving the Lord. Verse 12 says, rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. And as I've connected with so many of you, I hear the stories of the various ways that we're suffering. And one of the signs of a healthy church, it's not that we avoid the suffering, we face the suffering, but we are patient in the suffering and we persevere in prayer. Never give up praying. That's the sign of a healthy church. You believe in the power of prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and extend hospitality to strangers. A healthy church, a church that is pouring out the gifts in love and service to God and others will be a vibrant church. But we will also become a resilient people. And as Paul says, we're patient in suffering. We, we, we're not afraid about what we may suffer. That's what Jesus told the church at Smyrna. The devil is about to throw some of you into prison. and You're going to be tested you will have affliction, but Jesus says to the church at Smyrna, be faithful unto death and I'll give you the crown of life. One of the signs of a healthy church is that we're resilient. And we need to be resilient in this season, brothers and sisters. These are tough, tough times. And it's going to get tougher. And it'll be interesting to see how many of us will stay in the game with Jesus. Another result 
is that the people around us are going to be blessed. So our church is healthy. We become a resilient people. And people around us are going to be blessed. And I, I, when I read that, I was thinking about the story in Acts chapter 6 and verse 7 where there was a problem developing the church where the, the, the widows, the Greek widows, the Hebrew widows, there was a controversy erupting among them where the Greek widows felt that they were not getting an equal distribution of, of the food that was being shared. And so the apostles said, look, let's get some deacons together. And they appointed these deacons and the deacons solved the problem. But notice what it says after the problem was resolved. Verse seven, it's a wonderful verse to read. Acts six and verse seven, it says that the word of God continued to spread the number of the disciples increased greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to faith. You say, well, how did that happen? Did they have a, a big evangelist, uh, evangelistic campaign? Did they build a brand new website? Did they put uh, big banners out there on the highway so people could see their church? Did they put a plane in the sky with a big trailer behind it saying, come to first prayers? Is that how they got these people to believe? No, it's because the people of God answered the call. They used their gifts in service to one another. And it says that the word of God continued to spread. And people were being affected, and people were being impacted, and people were being touched by the Holy Spirit, and people were blessed. People are blessed when our lives overflow with the life of God. The Word of God and prayer, the Word of God and the Spirit of God, your life is going to overflow. Here's the last reason before I stop. God is going to be glorified, and maybe I should have put that first Maybe that belongs first and it belongs last because whatever we do as a church, whatever we do as people, it's not for us. It's not to make a name for ourselves. It's so that God might be glorified. And when God is glorified, wonderful things happen. Jesus says it, Matthew 5, 14, in the same way, let your light shine before others. That's the overflow right there. That's the life of God shining through you. Notice what he says, though, so that others may see the overflow of your good works, the outpouring of your good works. And what will they do? They will give glory to Pastor Ray? No. They'll give glory to First Pres? No. Others may see and give glory to your Father in heaven. That's why this is so important, this season that we're in. We want God to be exalted. The glory of God in all things, that's the purpose of God, not the growth of the church, can I say that again? Not the growth of the church. That's not the goal of the church. It's the glory of God, not our recognition, not our prominence, but the glory of God in all things. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to sign up to receive the filled up, poured out devotionals because I want you to begin to rethink what are you taking in. The filled up, poured out devotional is going to help you to take in the word of God be responsive to the God of Scripture so that the Spirit of God might work mightily in your life. And then the life-giving water of God will be poured out all around us. People are going to be blessed. Lives are going to be changed. This church will become a lighthouse in this community. And God's going to be exalted because your life is filled with the life of God being poured out. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, God's people say,
Amen.